Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from the story of John G. Patton. He was the missionary to the South Sea Island cannibals, the islands formerly known as the New Hebrides, now the nation of Vanuatu. We're on chapter 24. It's called Heathen Dance and Sham Fight. The chief, Noar Nuk Kamara, usually known as Noar, was my best and most to be trusted friend. He influenced the harbor chiefs and their people for eight or ten miles around to get up a great feast in favor of the worship of Jehovah. All were personally and specially invited, and it was the largest assembly of any kind that I ever witnessed on the islands. When all was ready, Noar sent a party of chiefs to escort me and my Anitimi's teachers to the feast. Fourteen chiefs, in turn, made speeches to the assembled multitude, the drift of all being that war and fighting be given up on Tana, that no more people be killed by Nahak, for witchcraft and sorcery were lies, that sacred men no longer profess to make wind and rain, famine and plenty, disease and death, and that the dark heathen talk of Tana should cease that all here present should adopt the worship of Jehovah as taught to them by the missionary and the Anitiamis, and that all the banished tribes should be invited to their own lands to live in peace. Well, these strange speeches did not draw forth a single opposing voice. The Tannese are born talkers and can and will speechify on all occasions, but most of it means nothing. And bears no fruit. After these speeches, a scene followed which gradually assumed shape as an idolatrous ceremonial and greatly horrified me. It was in connection with the immense quantity of food that had been prepared for the feast, especially pigs and fowls. A great heap had been piled up for each tribe represented, and a handsome portion also set apart for the missionary and his teachers. The ceremony was this, as nearly as I could follow it. One hundred or so of the leading men marched into the large clear space in the center of the assembled multitudes and stood there facing each other in equal lines, with a man at either end closing up the passage between. At the middle they stood eight or ten feet apart, gradually nearing until they almost met at either end. Amid tremendous silence for a few moments, all stood hushed, and then every man kneeled on his right knee, extended his right hand, and bent forward till his face nearly touched the ground. Thereon, the man at the one end began muttering something, his voice rising ever louder as he rose to his feet when it ended in a fearful yell as he stood erect. Next, the two long lines of men, all in a body, went through the same ceremonial, rising gradually to their feet with mutterings deepening into a howl and heightening into a yell and stood erect. Finally, the men at the other end went through the same hideous forms. All this was thrice deliberately repeated, each time with growing frenzy, and then, all standing on their feet, they united as with one voice in what sounded like music, 
music running mad, up and down the scale, closing with a long, deep-toned, hollow howl as of souls in pain. With smiles of joy, the men then all shook hands with each other. Noah and another chief briefly spoke, and the food was then divided and exchanged, a principal man of each tribe standing by to receive and watch his portion. At this stage, Noar and Nerwangi, as leaders, addressed the teachers and the missionary to this effect. This feast is held to move all the chiefs and people here to give up fighting, to become friends, and to worship your Jehovah God. We wish you to remain and to teach us all good conduct. As an evidence of our sincerity and of our love, we have prepared this pile of food for you. Well, in reply, I addressed the whole multitude, saying how pleased I was with their speeches and with the resolutions and promises which they had all made. I further urged them to stick fast by these and that grand fruits would arise to their island, to themselves, and to their children. Having finished a brief address, I then walked forward to the very middle of the circle and laid down before them a bundle of stripes of red calico and pieces of white calico, a number of fish hooks, knives, and so on, requesting the two chiefs to divide my offering of goodwill among the tribes assembled, and also the pile of food presented to us as a token of my love and friendship to them all. And not without some doubt, and under considerable trial, did I take this apparently unfriendly attitude of refusing to take their food. But I feared to seem even to approve of any act of devil worship or to confirm them in it, being there to discourage all such scenes and to lead them to acknowledge only the true God. Yet all the time I felt this, this qualm that, that it might have been better to eat food with men who acknowledged some God and asked his blessing than with those white heathens at home who asked the blessing of no God nor thanked him. In this, worse than the dog which licks the hand that feeds it. Noar and Nirwangi explained in great orations what I meant and how I wished all to be divided amongst the assembled tribes to show my love. With this, all seemed highly satisfied. Heathen dances were now entered upon, their paint and feathers and ornaments adding to the wildness of the scene. The men seemed to dance in an inside ring, and the women in an outside ring, at a considerable distance from each other. Music was supplied by singing and clapping of hands, the order was perfect, and the figures highly intricate, but I have never been able to associate dancing with things lovely and of good report. After the dancing, all retired to the bush, and a kind of sham fight then followed on the public cleared ground. A host of painted savages rushed in and took possession with songs and shoutings. From the bush on the opposite side, the chanting of women was heard in the distance, louder and louder as they approached. Snatching from a burning fire flaming sticks, they rushed on the men with these, beating them and, and throwing burning pieces of wood among them, until with deafening yells amongst themselves and amidst shouts of laughter from the crowd, 
they drove them from the space and danced thereon and sang a song of victory. The dancing and fighting, the naked painted figures, and the constant yells and shoutings gave one a, a weird sensation and suggested uh, strange ideas of, of hell broken loose. The final scene approached when the men assisted their women to fill all the allotted food into baskets to be carried home and eaten there. For the different tribes do not sit down together and eat together as we would do. Their coming together is for the purpose of exchanging and dividing the food presented. And now they broke into friendly confusion and freely walked about mingling with each other. And a kind of savage rehearsal of Jonathan and David took place. They they stripped themselves of their fantastic dresses, their, their handsomely woven and twisted grass skirts, leaf skirts, grass and leaf aprons. They gave away or exchanged all these and their ornaments and their bows and arrows, besides their less romantic calico and print dresses more recently acquired. The effusion and, and ceremonial of the gifts and exchanges seemed to betoken a, a loving people. And so they were for the feast. But that laid not aside a single deadly feud. And streams of blood and cries of hate would soon efface all traces of this day. Chapter 25. Cannibals at Work Early one morning, the savage yells of warring tribes woke me from sleep. They had broken into a quarrel about a woman and were fiercely engaged with their clubs. According to my custom, I rushed in amongst them and, not without much difficulty, was blessed in separating them before deadly wounds had been given or received. On this occasion, the chiefs of both tribes, being very friendly to me, drove their people back from each other at my earnest appeals. Sitting down at length within earshot, they had, well, they had it out in a wild scolding match, a contest of lung and, and tongue. Meanwhile, I rested on a canoe midway betwixt them, in the hope of averting a renewal of hostilities. By and by, an, an old uh, sacred man, a chief, called Sapa, with some touch of savage comedy in his breast, volunteered an episode which restored good humor to the scene. Leaping up, he came dancing and singing towards me, and there, to the amusement of all, reenacted the quarrel, and mimicked rather cleverly my attempt at separating the combatants. Smashing at the canoe with his club, he yelled and knocked down imaginary enemies, and then, rushing first at one party and then at the other, he represented me as, as appealing and gesticulating and, and pushing them afar from each other, till he became quite exhausted. Thereon he came and planted himself in great glee and beside me, and looked around as if to say, You must laugh, uh, for I have played. At this very juncture, a loud cry of, Sail, O, uh, broke upon our ears, and all parties leapt to their feet and prepared for a new sensation. For in those climes, everything, war itself, is a smaller interest than a vessel from the great unknown beyond sailing into your harbor. Not many days thereafter, a very horrible transaction occurred. Before daybreak, I heard shot after shot quickly discharged in the harbor. 
One of my teachers came running and cried, Missy, six or seven men have been shot dead this morning for a great feast. It is to reconcile tribes that have been at war and to allow a banished tribe to return in peace. I learned that the leading men had in council agreed upon this sacrifice, but the name of each victim was kept a secret till the last moment. The torture of suspense and uncertainty seemed to be borne by all as part of their appointed lot, nor did they prepare as if suspecting any dread assault. Before daylight, the sacred men allocated a murderer to the door of each house where a victim slept. A signal shot was fired. All rushed to their doors, and the doomed ones were shot and clubbed to death as they attempted to escape. Their bodies were then borne to a sacred tree and hung up there by the hands for a time as an offering to the gods. Being taken down, they were carried ceremoniously and laid out on the shore near my house, placed under a special guard. Information had reached me that my teachers and I were also destined victims for this same feast. And sure enough, we espied a band of armed men, the killers, dispatched towards our premises. Instantaneously, I had the teachers and their wives and myself securely locked into the mission house. And cut off from all human hope, we set ourselves to pray to our dear Lord Jesus either himself to protect us or to take us to his glory. All through that morning and forenoon, we heard them tramp, tramping around our house, whispering to each other and hovering near window and door. They knew that there were a double-barreled fowling piece and a revolver on the premises, though they never had seen me use them. And that may, under God, have held them back in dread, but the thought of using them did not enter our souls Even in that awful time, I had gone to save, not to destroy. It would be easier for me at any time to die than to kill one of them. Our safety lay in our appeal to that blessed Lord who had placed us there and to whom all power had been given in heaven and on earth. He that was with us was more than all that could be against us. This is strength. This is peace. To feel in entering on every day that All its duties and trials have been committed to the Lord Jesus, that, come what may, he will use us for his glory and our own real good. All through that dreadful morning and far into the afternoon, we thus abode together, feeling conscious that we were united to this dear Lord Jesus, and we had sweet communion with him, meditating on the wonders of his person and the hopes and glories of his kingdom. Oh, that all my listeners and readers may learn something of this in their own experience of the Lord. I can wish them nothing more precious. Toward sundown, constrained by the Invisible One, they withdrew from our mission house and left us once more in peace. They bore away the slain to be cooked and distributed amongst the tribes and eaten in their feast of reconciliation a covenant sealed in blood, and soon, alas, to be buried in blood again. For many days thereafter, we had to take unusual care and not unduly expose ourselves to danger, for dark characters were seen prowling about in the bush near at hand, 
and we knew that our life was the prize. We took what care we could, and and God the Lord did the rest, or rather he did all, for his wisdom guided us, and his power baffled them. Next time, chapter 26, The Defying of Nahak. Thank you for listening. I do like hearing from you. Please contact me with questions and comments. Just write to bob.j.falconer.72 at gmail.com and look around the site. I do believe you're going to find a lot that will be beneficial. There are readings from great preachers, stories from the persecuted church, Bible studies, a whole lot more. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.